Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 19. It's weird. It's getting close. Running down, running down the line. Running down a dream, as Tom Petty would say. Not anymore. <laughs> That's what we always have the music. I bet you didn't think we were going to go there, folks. <laughs> we're going to immediately jump into Tom Petty. It's Tom Petty's day on the uh, on the podcast. We're going to talk about all the Tom Petty movies. Right. I can't even name one off the top of my head. Well, there's reason. that Peter Bogdanovich movie that's four hours long. Oh, man. But there's something else. I'm th- wasn't he, was he in, like, Waterworld or something like that? He, was he in Waterworld? Wasn't he? Like, it's in something that's, that's similar to Waterworld. Oh, I don't know. The Postman. He's in The Postman. He is? Yeah. Oh, man. I never watched The Postman. Probably should have. Me either. Probably should have. Really? I don't know. You think he had? Do you think he was supposed to be in that? I don't know. I, he's in also just, Made in Heaven. Um, why was Tom Petty in so many movies? Wow. This is confusing. That's it, though. Is there any news what, we need to catch up on, Mario? Peter Bogdanovich movie was he in. It was, uh, what's, I think it's called it's, Running... It's not, it's, not, it's not on this. It's not on this filmography. No, it's like a documentary. Uh, so maybe it doesn't count like towards his filmography. Maybe. Is Perhaps. it part of your filmography if you're in a movie about yourself? I mean, there's a couple things that say music documentary for Sound City and Echo in it. Canyon, but well, Echo and the yeah, Echo and the Canyon just came out too. Is that about him? Uh, he's in it. Hmm. Tom Petty. What are we? What are we running down this? a dream? It's from two thousand and seven. Is four hours and nineteen minutes long. Is Peter Bogdanovich? Oh, there you go. Well, it's not on Wikipedia, so Look there you go. We have more more information than Wikipedia. Oh, oh, uh, ooh, ah, ooh, uh, uh. A school in Nagatuck. Nagatuck school is closed because of COVID. Is that where it's, your kids would have... Been? No, 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 but it's just one of those things where, you know, everyone... Me me and my wife have I had a lot of anxiety about what we were going to do, and one of the things we were just like, it's coming. It's coming. Whether people want it or not, you can keep everyone as separate as you can keep them, blah, 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 blah. It's coming. And it's here. <laughs> it's like in the schools, so... Hooray. Mm, Connecticut. Okay, just... Well, uh, we're talking about film, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's the new rules for the best picture, which don't change anything for diversity and inclusion. They have to match one of four categories, or two of four categories. They don't do anything. People are somewhat losing their mind. But is this but, what... I think they're losing their mind because, like, is this what you want? I mean, it's nothing. But don't, it's a nothing burger. It's right. Like nothing burger. Jesus Christ. Um, it's a nothing thing in the sense that, you know, it doesn't really disclude any movie that's been nominated for best picture in, like, the past ten or so years. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even... Like, no, but somebody looked back and, like, they couldn't find a single film that would have been discluded. So mm-hmm. it's just, you know, kind of a pat on the back. The Dune trailer also came out today. Yeah, that looked pretty good. Looks like Dune. I think it's Which, just Dennis Villeneuve doing Dune is, like, a good idea. Yeah, sure. If you like, if you think Dune is not a stupid piece of shit book. Yeah, it's the thing. I'm not excited for it because I didn't understand the book and I didn't understand the original movie. So I'm not sure how they're doing this in a way that would make me care about anything that's happening. Yeah, I'm sure if you're but it looks stoked awesome. Stoked about Dune, like then you'll probably be stoked about this because apparently people that are stoked about Dune are stoked about the trailer. I guess. So good, good for you guys. But I feel like this is about well, like it's like a tenant it. problem where it looked cool, but, oh, I, but I I knew instantly that like this is not a thing I'm going to care about. It's going to be much more competent than Tenet. Like I don't think. Dennis Villeneuve, Dennis Villeneuve, what was that? <laughs> Ooh. I don't think he has the strength of abhorrence 
for appeasing an audience that Christopher Nolan does. Mm. Um, Christopher so he, Nolan so far up his own ass now that, you know. Yeah, he whatever. is. Also, fuck Christopher Nolan. Who cares? Yeah. But, like, Who I cares think, is I think, right. I think, like, you know, Dennis Villeneuve, he, he definitely contorts his image with each film. And, and, you know, there's still some hallmarks of his, kind of like the floating skyscapes mm-hmm. and whatnot that he loves. But, um, you know, he's going to make his film into what it needs to be. So I give him credit for that. Yeah. I just don't care about the source material. I'll right, see right. it, but don't expect me to be like, Blanche, Melange, Blue Eyes, Pre-Science, Children of Dune, God of Dune. Inevitably, what you and me will say is, Timothy Chalamet was pretty good. End of sentence. Because he's pretty good in lots of things. Yeah, I'll probably just end up talking about like the production design. Yeah, yeah, Or we'll probably... Be be excited for that conversation. We'll be sad about the the Johan Johansson absence. We'll be like really glaring. Or I'll just talk a lot... I'll make a lot of Dave Bautista jokes. That's true. That's true. Speaking of having absence of opinions, we'll get to that in a second. But first, we need a beer. We do need a beer. And we're doing two episodes today, folks. Um, so if you're wondering why we didn't do I'm thinking of ending things, it's because me and Tom want to save that one for next week. So fuck you. Uh, <laughs> anyways, today, <laughs> the beer I brought for us is a 4.5% beer. Oh, should I should take this one. No, that's okay. It's 4.5% beer. I just looked at it and was like, this seems interesting. Really no reason. Uh, it is, it's, you know, actually it kind of fits the theme of my film for the week. Hmm. Um, it is No Rinds from Black Hog Brewing, a rice ale brewed with watermelon juice. It's rice ale plus watermelon juice plus sake yeast. Huh. Interesting. So it really does fit my my film. I didn't uh, try to match it. It's 4.5% alcohol by volume. Well, you did American Beauty uh, last week. So that was like, like the heaviest match ever. I was like, I gotta do yeah. something. I gotta do something. It smells good. Ooh. Ooh. It's different. You haven't it done a different. rice beer. Didn't get... I can tell you this much. Our next beer is not different. It is the most not different beer ever, but I've been waiting for a while. Ooh. I know. It smells really nice. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. It tastes... Seltzery. Yeah, it's very seltzery. Doesn't not a, doesn't taste like a beer. Here's um, another thing. It has a weird alcohol taste that morphs into watermelon as you swallow it but the front palate taste is alcohol yeah the front palate it's taste the, is has, gotta be the sake real right? like not, the not sake necessarily yeast. yeah maybe it's got a real, like not necessarily acetone but ethanol sort of flavor to it um it does have that kind of like if sake was cold taste to it like you know sake typically has like that warmth to mm. it um but if sake didn't have that kind of bite it is like that, but it does finish very pleasantly. Like, I don't like the start, but I really enjoy its finish. Can a beer be a failure and good? I don't know. But I think I think this is going to be a beer that gets better as it warms up. Maybe. I don't think this is a good cold beer. Like, you know, sake's never really served, served like, room temperature? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's what this is going to be. Maybe, maybe. it shouldn't have been chilled. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe maybe I was the failure. It? And the beer is a success. Yeah. So we'll come back to this. Uh, around about uh, 20 minutes from 40... So at some point during the day, I'll be like, Rah, this beer. We'll, we'll, hold, we'll both hold it deeply in our hands and... and, and I'm just going to sit on it like a little golden goose. Yeah. Uh, speaking of sitting on things, Disney sat on a movie for a while that was supposed to come out in March, and, and they uh, they couldn't wait any longer, apparently. 
Um, I don't know why. They never said. Um, but if you were so inclined, you could pay $30 uh, along with your additional $7 that you pay for Disney Plus. And this weekend, you could have watched Mulan. You will now take the oath of the warrior. Loyal. Brave. True. Die pretending to be something you're not. Yet here I stand, proof that there is a place for people like us. A girl threatens all plans. A warrior. Mulan is a young... Oh, this is a remake of a 1998 Disney film uh, which had uh, Eddie Murphy in it and featured lots of songs. Um, Eddie Murphy was a dragon, I think. I don't know. I didn't see it. I was fucking 16 years old when the original Mulan came out. I was not going to see Mulan. Um, Mulan is a young girl. She's living in her village. Um... And she is being brought up to be a proper lady and to and to tamp down her chi, which is apparently some kind of magic uh, or some kind of feeling inside of herself that allows her to do some things that seem vaguely magical. Um, and they're going to arrange a wedding for her and she's going to be a good girl. She's not going to uh, rock the boat too much. Um, and then Bori Khan, played by Jason Scott Lee who I didn't recognize, but was glad to see, I suppose, when I found out that it was Jason Scott Lee, um, has been storming storming all these outposts along the Silk Road in China. And, and they go to the emperor, who's played by an, an unrecognizable Jet Li, and says, like, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, form an army. And then the army goes, and they go into each town, and they're like, each family must submit one man to the army. And... and Mulan's father only has he has two daughters been blessed with two daughters and he's like I'm gonna go and even though he can't stand and he's got these braces on his legs he's gonna go he's he was a, a brave warrior before and he knows he can be one again uh, but Mulan um, who is uh, I guess 16 years old she's supposed to be 16 she's a teenager whatever she's marrying age doesn't matter she decides she's gonna go in his stead she pretends to be a boy um and she joins the army, and in in her training, they recognize um, Donnie Yen, you know, who is also supposed to be better than this, uh, <laughs> playing Commander Tung, recognizes that there's something special about this this young man, um, Chen, who is another recruit played by Yosan An. Um, doesn't recognize when he sees her naked in water that she is a girl because her back is to him. So, I do that often. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, Bori Khan uh, is accompanied by a witch named Zhang Yang, played by Gong Li. Um, again, who is much better than than than... <laughs> 
than this movie. Um, although it seems like she's working working hard to uh, make those dragon fingers realistic. Um, they're just trying to take over, and she feels like an out. She is feels like an outcast. Borikon's kind of uh, dragging her along, based on the idea that like once he's in power, she'll have a place to go because she also has a high amount of chi and didn't feel like tamping it down like Mulan did. And uh, she was outcast for it, and then she became uh, a witch. And um, yeah, and so the movie ends. There's a battle where Mulan has to shed she sheds her false identity and in battles as Mulan and is a superhero and there's a catapult and there's an avalanche and then they storm a castle uh you know very uh, crouching tiger hidden dragon style uh and then she saves the day and then they let her even though she's more powerful than everybody they let her join the Imperial Guard, if she wants. She kicks an arrow into Bruce Lee's chest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't meet played Bruce Lee. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that movie. It was almost on my list. Really? Not like... Dragon, a Bruce Lee story? Because I, I just saw it a lot. You know, there's like those uh, my movies... Dad, my dad loved that movie. You know those movies that like, when you were making your list that you were just like, I saw this movie so many times, it has to be considered. Cliffhanger, Cliffhanger was the one for me. Yeah, so it was probably in like my I sometimes 150. think Cliffhanger probably should have made the list. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we're still so, talking about that. Well, in 10 years, we'll come back to the list. We'll make new lists and we'll see how that works. I'll be dead. Maybe. Um, Hopefully. Mm. It was... Okay. You know, I don't know. I had a lot of problems with some things, and I didn't have so many problems with other things. I think uh, Nikki Caro does a pretty, pretty good job of managing this thing. I just think it's got no, like a lot of these Disney remake things, it's got no soul. And maybe the animated movie had some soul. I was just listening to a podcast from the Ringer on the way over here, and they were everyone was talking about how much they missed the songs. I can never say that I would miss a Disney musical number. Like, if it wasn't in a movie, I would always applaud taking every moment, musical moment out of every Disney movie. But this movie's kind of flat. Just kind of sits there most of the time. Um, you know, I, I don't know. But it's also not like, I think it was better than, I, I liked it better than Aladdin. You know yeah, I, I I mostly agree in that instead of okay, I, I think it's awful. Um, it, it feels, like you said, flat. For a $200 million movie, I've never seen a film so abjectly dull. And everything about this film, from its tired performances to its flat direction, its at times shaky CGI, um, mm. and its really... Lifeless cinematography just screams abject failure to me. Um, n- nothing, nothing be outside of something loosely like costume design and some neat CGI landscapes of the Forbidden City works. Mm-hmm. Everything else is terrible. But it's it's weird because it seems this movie like it's, cost two hundred million. Well, so that's the thing. It seems like it's terrible in a context. It's terrible in the fact that they had all this money. They have all these great performers. They have a director who seems to kind of know what she's doing. 
and all of those things collectively, they were so afraid of this may- movie maybe not making money or something that it's they just made the flattest movie ever. They're part I, of the deep state that created coronavirus. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, I think all of this stuff is probably interrelated. Um, but that's maybe that's a different conversation. We might find our way back into it later. Um, I don't know, but it was it's it's weird because like. Yeah, the cinematography is odd because they do all this stuff. They do everything right. And then you look at a shot and you're like, yeah, that's, a, that's I guess, the shot. You know what bugs me is it feels like everything's in, especially the battle scenes, feel like it's in that, that Hobbit-style 40 frames per second. Mm. It feels really inhuman. Everything feels really, I don't want to say artificial, but it Artificial, feels, yeah. I don't want to say that, though, but it feels off. As though it feels like there's this weird, uncanny valley thing going on well, so, with everything. Because it feels like in the major battle sequences, it feels like I'm watching 15 dudes fight. Mm-hmm. And then like really poorly done CGI in the background. Well, so this I think artificial is the right word. Because one of the things I wanted to talk about, which I mentioned in our, our text thread, was part of, one of the problems I'm having with these Disney remake things is that they seem really obsessed with sets. So everything seems super fake all the time. Because everything's taking place on a soundstage, and you can see yeah. it as a soundstage. Like and it doesn't ever feel real; it just is a soundstage. So it doesn't matter what they do to it. Like the reason those guys, the reason those ten guys were fighting in that hallway for fifteen minutes is because they didn't have anywhere else to put them. Because they weren't, even though they spent two hundred million dollars in this movie, they weren't going to build another set for ten guys to fight it. So they had two sets for fighting: that weirdo hallway and. The scaffolding, you know what I mean? Yeah, and the scaffolding at least has was somewhat interesting. To yeah, look at. yeah, yeah. Um, but every like the village is just a set. You know what I mean? When they go to the when they she goes to the training facility, it's just a set. When she goes to that weirdo pond next to the pink tree, which they go to twice, it's just a set. Yeah, that's that's an issue. I think is is the fact that. The film lacks, lacks a lot of dimensionality mm. in the fact that the camera feels always fixed in place. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, obviously it's moving around like a regular film, but the fact that it does feel like a stage makes you think like you're watching a performance. You don't feel as though this world exists. Right. No, it doesn't, no, no, no. You don't feel as though, you know, there, there's any part of it, unlike the, the movie we'll talk about, like my movie that we'll talk about next week that we've already talked about. Like, even though it has a much smaller budget, um, it's fantastical moments feel lived in Um, it's not even like comparable yeah but like this yeah i guess it's a really unfair comparison but um this doesn't ever feel as though it feels as though it was like end cut it everything feels particulated Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's weird it was but it's also like I don't think we need to go into the, the, the. Do we need? We want to touch on the politics of this, like the controversy, or like yeah, I don't care. I don't mean. I, um, I mean, I, maybe we should. I, I think. I think the issue, the main, my main politics issue with this, and it goes beyond like the China thing, is the fact that Mulan, like in comparison to the animated film, and the animated film. Did Mulan, you see the animated film? Yeah. Okay. It sucks. Um, but regardless, in Mulan, the animated film, like she has to. She stumbles in her training and has to learn to become a warrior. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, she already starts out as this like great warrior. Um, and I feel that does like a lot of service. If you're making a movie like that is is, you know, Milan's kinda like one of those earlier films where like a woman 
an animated film presented as like a real strong hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but she faces the challenges that any hero is going to face in that sort of hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. Harold Bloom sort of bullshit. Um, here, she's already out of reach of the normal. Like, she starts out having been endowed with this power, mm-hmm. which I don't think, I think does a disservice to, to kids who are going to watch this in the fact that, like, you can't watch that and kind of like to be like that could be me sort of thing. There's a mental disconnect there and the fact that like she's already special. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a bummer from a storytelling standpoint, especially if you're trying to draw in kids. Yeah, I mean, I think my kids enjoyed it. I think um, there's definitely like a sense of they definitely got a sense that there's. A female, there's, they definitely got the female empowerment thing, specifically my daughter out of it. But I think to your point, they got more of a female, they get more of a female empowerment sense from tons of other stuff that does it much more subtly and isn't so um, afraid that people aren't going to get it. They want the messaging to be really hard and really clear. So they're like, look, she's, she's a woman, she's special. She's so special that she has powers that only one other person in the movie displays and she is also a woman and she can turn into a fucking bird there's just two people but and she could shapeshift into people but why is she not why are neither of them the emperor of china when one of them is magic because she can change into bird or bats or whatever or people or people or do anything she wants and i the other did one you, can kick arrows into people's hearts. Did you get yeah. what how she was shape shifting into that? I, I like the like, physics of it? Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't I mean like, I just you just assumed just, that she did. Did she just like go into that person or did like Yeah, I think person... so. Like their soul. It's like a fallen thing, I think, okay. right? Okay. Okay. Cuz I just I was sitting there going like like cuz they didn't show it. Like they didn't do a CGI moment to show it. And I was sitting there going like, "Well, What's she doing exactly? Like, is the person melting away and she just, like, takes their form? I mean, I think the main problem is that... It's a minor inconvenience, but, like, it happens four times, and every time it happens, I'm like, well, what's she... What exactly is she doing? My main problem with that stuff is that the guy that they got to play the Chancellor looks exactly like Jason Scott Lee's character. Mm -hmm. So the whole time you're like, is that Boricon? Is he there? Like, do they not know that it's him? That would have been a much funnier part if Boricon just dressed up as the Chancellor. Like, tied the Chancellor. I was like, Paul, I'm the Chancellor. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, you look different. Like, just give him the, keep the, has like a goatee. It's like, no, same guy. (laughs) Good funny interlude there. Yeah, I mean, funny interludes. There's no funny interludes other than the fact that you smell. Yeah, there's really no humor in this. You smell twice, and then that's it. And And then she bathes, and... And then he's like, I will, you can turn your back on me. Which is turn a, your back which is a very, like, feminine-looking back. But I, and, and I can see your hands, and those are, those are all, everything's feminine here. But I'm going to pretend like you are just a very, very fair gentleman who won't look at me. So, anyway. Maybe he has bad eyesight. We never determined that. That's why he's not as good a warrior. Yeah, that's why he, every time he tries to kick an arrow, it just goes into a person's nose. Mulan one and a half that comes in like the clamshell Disney case is just going to be about him getting... VHS. It's still just unskippable really... coming to theaters. <laughs> it's uh, going to be just about him getting glasses. Do you think we can make a live-action version of Great Mouse Detective next? Or Rescuers Down Under. 
<laughs> but not rescuers. I don't know. You can do rescuers, but you just have to keep the naked woman in the in the, uh, in the, the boat. Listen, they're doing... Remember, did we even... Well, they're doing Atlantis now. The live-action... Oh, my God. The live-action Lady and the Tramp came out, right? Uh, sure. Nobody saw it. Are they going to do a live-action Lilo and Stitch? I hope so. Or a live-action Hunchback of Notre Dame? They can't really do a live-action Tarzan, right? Because they already made that Brendan Fraser movie. It, well, they did make a live-action Tarzan. But it wasn't, but like, based, based off of... Yeah. But you can't make a live-action Tarzan, because that's just that. Ugh, everything fucking sucks with this. You, so the thing, I have a... Do any of these movies need live-action? No, maybe, I have... Maybe do Black Cauldron? Maybe you could do Black right, Cauldron. Right, yeah, yeah. I would be cool with do, something, like, cool. Do the cool. shitty ones over. Make a live-action Fantasia. Fucking do that. Figure that one out and do that. Who's going to play Mickey Mouse? Animatronic... Not CGI brooms. Yeah, do it. Fucking do it. I'll see. I'll be excited for that one. I think that's my problem with this movie is that it's not good enough to justify this new weirdo, th- and they haven't made one yet to justify this new live action kind of thing that they're doing. Uh, this program of reindoctrination that they're that they're well, perpetrating on society. It? Outside of this one, like all of them make a billion dollars. But this is probably going to make a billion dollars too because it's like. Millions sure and millions of people signed up for Disney Plus. I'm sure it will. So that's the justification. Is the money, money, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No. It sucks. Don't watch it. Don't spend thirty dollars on it. Don't even watch it when it comes in December. It's not worth it. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let that ring. <laughs> um. Yeah, all right. So we'll be right back with Mario's number 19. Indeed. Many months ago, in the bef- I think in the before time. Yeah, definitely the before times. BC time. Um, I talked about Spirited Away. A movie that I think is... Definitely the best Miyazaki film in terms of its pure structure. Mm-hmm. But there was another one I said that had more of a heart for me that I saw when I was much younger um, that, that really just connected to me in this, in this wonder sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Spirited Away has had all more of an adult theme to it. And this movie, to me, felt ultimately more like a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. For me, outside of one other film that is to come, um, it was the animated film that most filled me with like a sense of kind of wonder um, and excitement and, and, and kind of captured the spirit of things like The Wind in the Willows, which I was obsessed with as a little kid. Oh, really? Um you know, just just this real fantastical world that still has some sort of texture and vibrancy with real life. Um, that is why my number 19 is the 1988 film My Neighbor Totoro. Totoro, Totoro.
professor and his two daughters, Satsuki and Mei, move into a house to be closer to their ill mother. Um, she's been suffering from an illness for quite some time. You don't really particularly know what it is, but it, yeah. seems, it seems pretty grave, um, at least from the perspective of a child. Well, I think it's like um, tuberculosis. Yeah, it's, it's something of that way. You know she has like a cold later on. That's what holds her back. Yeah. Um, this house has a little small little spirits in it be seen as they move from place to place and has the curtain you know and kind of like represent kind of like this weird discomfort with the new mm-hmm. and when they girls finally rest into the house they scurry away these little soup monsters um one day may kind of like was walking around and discovers this large tree and at this tree is this large spirit who makes these these sounds that sound like these roars that sound like totoro and her and Totoro get closer and closer. She falls asleep on Totoro. Um, you know, she she tries to show her family the tree, but she, she can't. Um, and, you know, they, she keeps kind of having these small little adventures with, uh, with Totoro. Um, you know, there's, there's a cat bus thing. Totoro gets on and journeys it's off. Disgusting. On. <laughs> it is kind of disgusting, but as a kid, it was kind of awesome. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's not like it's only disgusting when you're in a grown-up and you think about it, and you're like, you perceive the texture, and you're like, that's like soft, which means it's like the inside of the cat, no. which is just gross. I don't. Know. But you watch this back to back with something like all dogs go to heaven, and you know, it doesn't seem so Oliver gross. and Company. I don't watch it with all of her company. <laughs> um, she's given some seeds. And she plants the seeds and they do a dance. And, you know, eventually the things grow into a giant tree. And Totoro and takes all the girls on a little flying trip, a ride on the top. You know, these kids are having these moments of, of excitement and, and fun. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they find out that... that their, their mother is not is not going to be able to come home because they're, they're been expecting her coming home. Um, but, you know, there's a delay because she's still seems as though she's sick. That mm-hmm. they, that something may, and they still interpret that something may be even worse. And may doesn't take this well, and she rushes off to deliver some corn to her mother. Um, everyone, their others, Satsuki and the other neighbors, go off to kind of find her, and eventually Satsuki was earlier found the tree kind of goes and you know pleads for Totoro's help and Totoro being the the good guy he is kind of jumps into the cat they find Mei and then uh, they go off to see the the mother in the hospital and they find out the mother just has a slight cold and is um you know going to be better so they leave the corn there at the uh the the windowsill and they they go back home and um eventually the mother comes home and they're a happy family again. They play with their other children while the Totoro and the other spirits watch on. Uh, that is my neighbor Totoro. Really, just in a nutshell, mm-hmm. it's 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 definitely a movie where describing the plot doesn't do. It's not well, a bunch of stuff is happening, but because it's more just a visual treat. I think this is an interesting double feature that we're running here with our 19s and 18s. Oh, and okay. that, that, it's like it's like my nineteen does not at all connect to your nineteen. No, they work. Well, so, but I think they do, and the only one that doesn't really work is my eighteen, 
in this like thing that I'm going to say is that they're all about atmosphere and they're all about feeling. Like that's how they their base level of operation is 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 atmosphere and feeling. Mm-hmm. And so the story of Totoro is pretty like bare bones because you know things happen and what have you, but really it's just like little girls interact with nature and there's this spirit animal that's huge and doesn't say very much and like all this other stuff. But if you're in it, which it's so easy to, which Miyazaki's just like a genius of literally dropping you into stories so you feel like you're there you know what i mean and which is like a, such a stupid thing to say and i'm like so against it and i really like it. but when it works it works it, and you really do there's like a at nighttime when they grow those trees out of the ground you also you kind of feel like it's like you're you're experiencing that kind of growth or like the darkness really works on you and this like the unbelievable score one of the great film scores um so many great themes just kind of running through it the whole time um just it's transportive. Like, when did you first encounter Totoro? I want to say like ten or eleven. Oh, really? Okay, very really, really early. Um, that's awesome. I mean, I wish I had. Yeah, and and that's the kind of thing that that grasps me. Is like I was, you know, a big kind of Disney animated fan as a little kid, but this felt so uniquely different because it didn't need to do anything. Mm. It didn't need to have these moments to. It had these like very magical sort of moments. Um, but it didn't necessarily need to do anything to kind of like get you like, like every kind of Disney film you watch or the other kind of animated films of the time, what the Warner Brothers animated films had these moments that needed to hook you where it'd be the musical numbers or, um, a set piece. This didn't, this just has, I mean, it has those moments that are definitely memorable, Mm -hmm. but all of them feel earned from the emotional affect that's kind of being displayed. Yeah, yeah. And whereas something like Spirited Away has a much more of a complex um, emotional state mm-hmm. in, in terms of, you know, the worries of fear and, and I think even to a degree of aging and growing up and becoming an adult um, and loss and everything, this has a very centered emotion mm-hmm. of of what a child would have of discomfort in a new place, but also uh, because of newness, like everything about this is the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, mostly being the fear of what will happen with their mother. And Mm -hmm. once, you know, they're resolved, that's the resolve. They don't need the spirits anymore. It's been figured out. They have, they can be kids again. That fear is gone. Um, and so with this being so base level, watching this as a kid, you kind of grasp it. More oh, easily. sure. Yeah. Uh, like I didn't see Spirit Away until I was basically like 17, 18, mm-hmm. I think. I can't remember exactly when I said I watched it. No one is going to hold you accountable for this. But when did I see it? Why am I forgetting this right now? <laughs> I'm not forgetting this right now. Um, anyway, seeing this at that age, you, you get close to it. And, mm-hmm. and it feels... Like you, you see it's a fantasy, but it feels so aware of itself, and it feels so. I always hate saying it. It doesn't feel necessarily earnest, but it feels as though the magic and the scenes and 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 the, that those moments are earned by the fact that they retain that emotional state throughout. Everything about this feels as though. It is tonally on chord. Yeah, I think 
my takeaway has always been like a little bit like that is that there's like a it's like a perfect representation of like a pretty universal feeling of what it is like to be a kid of what it's like to even look at like Totoro early on like Totoro is kind of like a scary kind of figure mm-hmm. but you're also it is because Totoro doesn't just show up at May has to find him by accident um when it is important that she first she encounters that first little the small Totoro that's trying to get the nuts and is waddling and is dropping the nuts and then he runs into the bushes and then she runs into the bushes and drunk and as he <laughs> you run into lots of bushes and um, waddle with nuts she runs into the bushes and there's a tunnel like remember when you were a kid if you found a tunnel like or even something that you just perceived to be a tunnel like in the woods you'd be like oh my god it's a secret it's a secret tunnel or even just recently there's a, in Norwalk there's like a house like an old you know shitty house that's you know from you know the 1800s or whatever and it's preserved and it's a museum now and it's kind of a state park thing they have one of those trees on the property that like the branches go like out and they kind of touch the ground like a willow? I don't know so I don't know anything about trees but you can go into the tree Oh, so their Arbor's podcast follow-up is, is gone? Yeah, no, that? no, we're not doing that. Damn. Um, no trees or birds or vegetables or none of that stuff. Um, you can, So the, the branches touch the ground and it's all full of leaves and you can go into it. Even as like a grown-up with two kids, I was like walking there and be like, oh my God, we're inside a tree. Like, this is amazing. And like, I, I, my, I don't know if my mic picked all that up, but that's all fucking here in Totoro. It starts with that base level of... What is it like to be a kid and to discover anything? And so her fear is mitigated by the fact that it's just another discovery. You know what I mean? It's all part of the same experience of discovering this thing and then not being able to get it back instantaneously and then like finding it later under like under stress, you know what I mean? It's it's oddly contextual it's oddly contextualized after that. Where it doesn't just come to like Totoro is not available to just play whenever they want. You know what mm. I mean? It means something. Just like all of this stuff would really mean something when you're a kid. Um like it doesn't mean something necessarily that Totoro comes to them when they're waiting for the bus because like their dad didn't make his bus, and now they're waiting. You know what I mean? They're waiting in the in the, in the dark, and May is like attached to Satsuki's shoulders, and she's just like holding him. And there's a fear there, and that's when Totoro shows up. He's not just be like, "Yo, what's up? I'm gonna get this fucking cat bus. See you later." Like he's not doing that. You know what I mean? It's all representative. It's all tied to feeling. Yes, exactly. And and that's what worked for me as a kid, and still works for me today. Is just the fact that it feels much more magical in the mm. sense that you you sense it. Like you like when you see your imaginary friend as a kid, mm-hmm. like it your imaginary friend, at least mine, only came mine name was named Rob Roy, apparent for some goddamn reason. Was it Liam Neeson? No, it wasn't, unfortunately. I didn't Before have the movie him, came out. Um but it would only come him. at moments when it was he was needed, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was necessary. Um and, you know, I, I kind of buy into the idea that, that Totoro, like, these spirits exist, and they're kind of like guardians mm-hmm. in the film's universe. Um, but it, it, 
having that, having, you know, having that entire, like, idea of an imaginary friend or that need of, of kind of magic coming when it's necessary and when mm. it's, you most need it um, feels so true in this film. And it feels so, because it, it, it just is the way it happens for a child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you lose a lot of that and you, as, as you grow older and a lot of these animated, a lot of the kind of children's films end up feeling as though they're an adult trying to remember what it's like to be a child and, and failing, and, and yeah. failing yeah. Um, often. Uh, but this always feels as though it is, you know, that ninety minutes to get back to being a child, mm. you know, to 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 get on that that tonality of being a kid, and that's why you know it stayed there because it stays with you. You have to, I have to oh, rewatch yeah. this like every couple of years. Just to get that sense of place back, you know, it, it's a grounding experience for me. It's always been a film that kind of grounds me mm. Mm. because it's not like you're discovering anything new. You, you don't like see something in a different perspective, but it just always brings you back like a cup of cocoa on a snowy day. I like cocoa. <laughs> like a cup I'm of sorry. coffee. Yeah, coffee. I got a coffee. snowy yeah. day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. On a cold day. You know, or walking through the leaves mm. on, a, on a walk. Yeah, you know it brings you brings you back. No matter how bad you can feel, it's gonna bring you back. Well, and that's so like my. I think it's the. Then you realize your girlfriend doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny because I Totoro was like the second one I saw. No, Totoro was technically the third one I saw because it was Howl's Moving Castle. No. Princess Mononoke was the first one I saw, and I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" But that didn't mean anything. Miyazaki, as a as an entity, didn't mean anything to me then. Mm. Then I started reading the Nausicaa graphic novels, and then I watched the Nausicaa movie, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." But it wasn't. It didn't go beyond that. And then I saw Totoro, and I was like, "Now I fucking get what the deal is with this." And then I saw Spirited Away. But then you have. Then I had kids, and the Miyazaki movies became like a part of their existence. Like it was so. When my son was born, I could hear my daughter watching Ponyo in the other room. Like, so I have attached... And, like, for Halloween, my son's first Halloween, my daughter was Kiki, my son was Gigi. You know what I mean? So Miyazaki movies have become, like, a part of my existence. Totoro was weird, though, because Totoro was the easiest. It's, like, the one you show them first. Yeah. But it's also... Like I said this in the in the Spirited Away one, it's not my movie anymore. They're none of them are my movies. Like I saw them, most of them before they were born. But I've just kind of like given all of them to them. And Spirit of Spirited Away is the one movie that retains any mystery because of the complexity that you mentioned before. Like this is just doesn't matter how old you are. Like a two year old gets Totoro because it's just so pure yes. and it's feeling that. A per any person can watch Totoro, hopefully. Maybe not some people. Like Mitch McConnell probably wouldn't get much from it. Oh, what's raccoon doing? <laughs> that's a good. <laughs> I've been practicing because uh, I'm gonna if if things don't go well, I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna switch personalities and just become Mitch McConnell. Yeah, just take his place. I won't. I'm, I refuse to be a Republican. I want to be a specific Republican. 
those nuts. I'll work on. I'll work on my gram. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is he still a person? I haven't heard from him in a long time. He might be. He's literally looked like he's an old I feel like he, the reason he hasn't chimed in on the Nancy Pelosi salon thing is because he goes to salons way more than Nancy oh, Pelosi sure. goes to salons. There, has there been a Miyazaki you don't love? Like, uh, I don't like Castle of Cagliostro. Yeah. But I also don't give a shit about Lupin the Third. Yeah, well, sorry, so, anime geeks. Right, the early you stuff. Fucking nerds. So actually, it's funny. I think Castle in the Sky stinks until the end. Until they I didn't get see Castle in the Sky. So until they get to the um to the literally till they get to the Castle in the Sky, I'm kind of it's just big and noisy and kind of and kind of is just obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because I I printed out this list because I thought I I thought you, we might have this. Some of the stuff he's written. Is okay. Like Arietti is. Yeah, I haven't seen. Is Arietti fine. Either. It's got a really weird Will Arnett performance in it. It's actually also weird because Amy Poehler and Will Arnett are uh, like the voices of like the mother and father, and they were married at the time, and now they're not married. Ooh. So it's weird for me. But I mean, like I like I really like Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm. Um, How's Women Castle? Good. It's okay. It's I, I don't mind it, but it's not like my favorite. I don't think I ever saw Ponyo. Ah, oh, you gotta watch. But Ponyo is the most. So you said Totoro's the most kids movie. Ponyo is like the most kids movie, but it's fucking dark and awesome. It is. It is. And it's got a great Liam Neeson voiceover performance. Um, as like well, I watch. I watch these in their original. Oh, you watch it with subtitles. Yeah. Oh, man, so, I watched my neighbor. Like I don't watch Totoro originally with subtitles. Oh, see, it's the thing. This, the, the, I love the Dakota Fanning L Fanning relationship. It's no, these two it works really like, they're, good. They're good. Dumb. It's the best Tim Daly performance ever. You want a good Tim Daly performance? You do. If you if you don't watch Kiki, you don't get your Phil Hartman fix, and you need that. You need it. Is there any that you don't like besides those two? Besides the early stuff? Uh. Did you did you like wind the wind rises? It was fine. Don't I saw it once. Don't really remember it. Yeah, adult Miyazaki was not did not have the same kind of appeal to me as as like the the more childlike or kid friendly stuff. How do you live supposed to be? How do you live's coming out? Yeah, children, but based on like kids. I don't know. It's like a nineteen thirty nine novel. Yeah, it is. So is it a world war? Yeah, it's a kid. It's a kid thing. Um, no, doesn't look like it. I don't know. I but just, it's a kid's movie. I just it's remember good. when he retired and he wasn't going to make any more movies, and then he was just like, "I'm going to make this one movie." None of these people retire. No. I don't even think Miyazaki's. He's not considerably old, is he? He's like. 60... I think he's pretty old. He's, old. he's 79. Okay, yeah. Maybe maybe so. he's he's earned his retirement. Yeah, he oh, he could retire. He was going to retire after The Wind Rises, but he just didn't, so... Um, I mean, he did. Like, this movie... I mean, he said he did, yeah. I mean, 2013, too. I mean, he was coming out with movies fairly consistently, and then... Paused. For eight years. Because mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to come out until next year. No, 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 no. They said it was like a three-year plan, and I think they started working on it in 2018. Yeah. So, yeah, so. Uh, thoughts on the beer? 20 minutes in? It's fine now. I think it's, I think it's 
fine. I actually kind of like a bitter cold. Yeah, I think I... Because it's more weird. refreshing. Yeah. So it's weird. It's a weird beer. Yeah. It's it's a fun experiment, though. No, no, definitely. Definitely, definitely. You know, this is a fun experiment. You, you doing your number, number 19, after the break. Uh, welcome back. My number 19 is a movie that we already talked about. It was your number 72. Uh, no, 72? Ah, which was it? No, it was your number 46. Did I get it? I, mean, I know a lot of switching around. On 72 this. or 46? It was no, one no, of them. Switching. 72. Yeah, I got one of them. <laughs> uh, it was Mars number 72. I, I don't even remember the nature of the conversation that we had back then. I'm definitely sure that I kind of just said, like, I'm going to stand back here and let you let you cook for a little bit, and then we'll we'll deal with this later. And I was literally cooking. It was really weird. We have got, <laughs> we have got to later. Yeah, people don't know this. That Mario cooks a lot during this podcast. He's got this. He's got this headset on. We actually just... do this at an old uh, Benihana. 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 Yeah. yeah. Well, the pivotal film, the base of the pivotal film studio is an old Benihana restaurant and we've just built up. Yeah. So the 15th floor is a target. Yeah. So uh, it's good. The 17th floor is a Montgomery Ward. And the 24th floor is a JCPenney that is now not bankrupt anymore because a mall bought them because they just want people to not leave their stores. <laughs> not leave their, their places. Um, oh, come on, Celtics. Get it together. Uh, all right. So my number... After making a basketball reference, my number 19 is the 1994 Frank Darabont directed Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins and Bob Gutton starring The Shawshank Redemption. They probably liked the Boston Celtics. They did. The book featured many references to the Boston Red Sox, so, you know, there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. I submit that this was not a hot-blooded crime of passion. Consider this. A revolver holds six bullets, not eight. That means that he fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. By the power vested in me by the state of Maine, I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back. One for each of your victims. So be it. Send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me! In the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Oh, it's the end of the thing. Ha <laughs> um, What do you want me to say about the Shawshank fucking ridiculous? Everyone's people? seen it. It's like the like the number like two on the IMDb. Guy Andy, gets falsely ever... Gets Andy falsely. Dufresne gets... Gets imprisoned for killing his wife even though he didn't kill his wife uh i don't care actually sir since i'm innocent of these crimes it's decidedly inconvenient um i did a fugitive reference though you know. yeah um <laughs> oh man i love a fugitive i'm so happy I put, see what we talk about all this stuff like oh, i wish i put this on my list i wish i put this on my list i'm so happy i put the fugitive on my list i love the fugitive that movie makes me feel so good that's one of our most popular episodes all too. those old harrison ford movies are so good those early 90s ford movies he did a good job um it's weird because the shawshank redemption comes a year after that and actually has a lot of the same feelings you know what i mean about like something nostalgic like the fugitive 
I watched a little bit last night, very late, because I I was doing other work and I just needed. I was like, even my wife was like, "You're gonna start the Shawshank Redemption now." And I was oh, like, I thought you said like your first experience with Shawshank Redemption." No, no, no was the thing, we're late. gonna get to that. So she was like, "Oh, you're gonna start this now?" And I was like, "I just want to be in it for like, I just need to be in it. I don't need to see this movie again. I've seen this movie a million times, definitely not a million. For all of our, I don't know how many people listen." That's hyperbole. I haven't seen it a million times. I've seen it a lot of times. It's one of the movies for me that I put on. Yeah, you mouth breathers. Don't call. Don't, <laughs> don't tweet us to be like. Actually, it's not possible. Uh, nobody. Maybe has fucking like fifty thousand screens. You stupid fucking asshole. Nobody tweets us. So I'm not worried about that. Um, I have. Finally. A couple of people. I would love for Brian Rafter to tweet us back. No, he doesn't care. Um, this is one of the movies we kind of talked about this a little bit. Like I don't. I don't. I I, re, I tend to rewatch the same movies over and over and over again because I get a feel like I have a satisfaction feeling from them. I'm not one of those guys that likes to just like fire up the Criterion Collection and watch some weirdo, you know, German film from like 1962 and just kind of for fun. You know what I mean? Are you actually attacking me right now? No, no, no. I'm just not that guy. I just I I, I wish I could be that guy. I have like a long list of I have a list of movies from this year that I wish I could just fire up and watch, but I can't. I can't do it. So I've watched okay. Amadeus twice in the last month. Why? Because it's fucking awesome and it makes me feel good to watch it. The Shawshank Redemption is one of those movies where I, I put it on and I just disappear instantaneously. It doesn't matter how many times you I've watched the Shawshank Redemption, it like infiltrates my blood as soon as it as soon as as soon as the the trial scenes are over, as soon as you get that door scene, you know what I mean? When Red sits down for his first parole hearing, as soon as it goes to black and you get that door, you get the slamming sounds, I'm like, I'm fucking in it. And Frank Darabont, for all of the weirdness of his career, he has the weirdest fucking career. He does. You know he does. In what way? I mean, outside it's... of the garbage that was Walking Dead, but I don't blame him for that. But I don't watch any of the Walking Dead stuff. The fact that, like, his movie... Well, I didn't watch it either. The fact that his movies are Stephen King movies, are all Stephen King adaptations, it's just really weird. Like, that's a weird thing. And The Majestic. Well, yeah, but The Majestic was awful. The Majestic was terrible. And that was just somebody... I actually don't even think that was a him thing. I think someone who was just like, you know what, we need more Jim Carrey aping Frank Capra movies. Why hasn't he made a movie since The Mist? I don't know. I don't know. Is he just, he's really just sitting there waiting for them to give him Dark Tower, aren't they? I don't know. I think he's I, just sitting there going like, Dude. I think that would be a mistake. But I, I just think he's not, his his skills are not Dark Tower skills. You know what I mean? That's fair. But he he's made needs... three exceptional Stephen King adaptations. Yes. But the, my saying, I'm going to get, I don't, I won't start again on, on last week's end <laughs> of Mar- podcast episode. Mario will not have his, and those other movies besmirched. No, I like the Green Mile. Um, well, I just I'm not gonna go back to what I did last right, time. Right, um, Green Mile should be nominated for everything. No, I liked it. It was just like too much, and it was one of those things where it, it doesn't matter. We're not gonna relitigate the Green Mile. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy Dufresne gets sent to Shawshank Prison in in, in the late '40s, uh, and in the early '70s he escapes. He is in there with uh, Red, played by Morgan Freeman. The warden is Sam Norton, played by Bob Gutton. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other guys. It's a who's who of character actors in this movie. Um, and a who's who of crew. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we're going to get there. Um, 
and it is oh, maybe we should just do it now. So you have we talked about Thomas Newman last week. I thought I think American Beauty um, is one of my favorite all time film scores. I think it's Thomas Newman's maybe like best score because it seems like the thing that he kind of latched onto post American Beauty. It seems like every Thomas Newman score post American Beauty does some kind of version of American Beauty. But before he was doing American Beauty scores, he was doing Shawshank fucking Redemption scores, which has the most gorgeous, heart wrenching. Deep and big string themes that you know you could have in a movie. It is perfectly matched to this movie. The other thing that is perfectly matched to this movie is a guy who wouldn't win an Oscar until he made two okay to fine movies known as Blade Runner 2049 and 1917, and that is Roger Deakins. The idea that Roger Deakins didn't win a cinematography award for this movie is insane because this movie makes no sense without all of those just classic Deacon shots you know what I mean like I was thinking about this one of the scenes that I always go back to it's where I turned it off last night I made it all the way to the part where they're sitting up on the rooftop after that you know Andy tells um uh Hadley about about like the, the tax-free gift to his wife and all this other stuff, and they're drinking their Bohemia-style beer on the roof, and they felt like free men, and Red looks at them, and all that is fucking Deacon stuff, man. And it's perfect and beautiful, and it's just so great. Is it Legends of the Falls great? Oh, this is better than Legends of the Falls. Well, that's what wins this year. Legends of the Falls is ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, Only a movie that I see that was nominated that year that would have been... Potentially, of this class is red from three colors. But I almost think that doesn't count. Yeah, but like besides that, was Forrest Gump and White Herb was the other two. Give me a fucking break! Give me a break! Break me off! Please, that kick up part. Um, don't (laughs) remember that. So I'm just gonna you know I'm not gonna rehash like the thing. My experience with this movie was um, several fold. And I think that's one of the genius things about this movie. It's one of the best things about this movie is that you could attach this movie. You could attack this movie from any number of levels. You could be a fan of this movie for any number of reasons. My first encounter with this movie, as I mentioned, I think, on your podcast, was I was in a, I was in a jazz band ensemble in high school. And we were going up to Montreal for a competition. And we were in a bus, coach bus, with you know those little TVs interspersed. And someone put on Pulse. Pink Floyd's like concert film Pulse, which oh. is fucking terrible. I thought you were talking about the horror film Pulse. No, no, that'd be cool. And then they put on this movie, and I had my ass blown off because I was like, "This movies are like this." Like, I, I, this was leading up into my film as literature class. I hadn't experienced a movie that was so engrossing and transporting and like had so much heart and was so perfectly acted and executed but I didn't have any vision to understand that the next thing I know I'm a little older I'm like a couple years old another couple years older I've seen this movie actually let me go backtrack a little bit I remember these Oscars and I remember people being like what the fuck is this like this movie that nobody saw nobody saw this movie got nominated for eight Oscars Seven. seven Oscars yeah and it wasn't a Miramax movie so it didn't have like that kind of that traditional what we would come to know as traditional four years later like studio push behind it it was just this movie that like nobody saw and then it was just like oh yeah this is one of the best movies of the year and then I would go to the video store 
and I would like see it, and I was like, "Hey, that's this is Video Haven, on uh, in Milford, Connecticut, where I would later work." Uh, and I would see it, and it was on the shelf, and I was like, "What's this? Like this, this movie that everyone's talking about? Like what the fuck is this movie?" And then I saw it on that bus, and then I, my buddy John Paul, who like didn't like anything, John Paul. who like was the most contrarian person I would meet until like I met. Like me? No, I don't think you're contrarian. <laughs> Andrew's a contrarian. I, I, you would probably have to say Andrew's a contrarian. If JP were here, JP would be like, oh yeah, Andrew's a contrarian. John Paul loved this movie, but John Paul loved this movie for a different reason. Because he fucking was obsessed with Clancy Brown. Well, that's a that's a fair thing to be. But it's weird. I mean, up to that point, I was like, what do you mean? Who's Clancy Brown? And he's like, he's the guy that plays Hadley. I was like, why are you obsessed with him? He's like, go, because he was in this, and he was in this, and he was in this. Uh, and Clancy Brown's amazing. And I was like, uh, yeah. okay. Did you not see Highlander? Did you not see... I had not seen Highlander at that point, no. And I'm still okay with <laughs> with how long it took me to see Highlander. Did you see Pet Cemetery 2? No, I hadn't seen Pet Cemetery 2. But he was obsessed with this movie. High school. Had you not seen Starship Troopers by this point? Uh, I I did not see Starship Troopers till later. I think I still think Starship Troopers is a stupid movie. It is, but he's also not a very big part of it. I don't know how he's as an example. Clancy Brown's fucking king. But at the time, I didn't know who Clancy Brown was, and the idea that somebody knew who Clancy Brown was and they loved this movie just for Clancy Brown blew my fucking mind. Subsequently, though, after watching this movie many, many, many more times. It's just, it's just in there, like it's just a weird thing. It's just, it's, and I've, we've talked about this, like the idea that this was like the number one movie on IMDb for a long time. I'm as in currently. Is oh, it's back it's currently. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. This movie is perfect. What are its flaws? I'm actually, I'm, in, I'm interested to know what you. So let's kind of, I don't. I, you told your tale. Probably in 72. Maybe we should... I'll t- retweet like the 72 episodes so we can kind of... People can go back and hear it. When you encounter this movie now, like, what do you what do you think about? I mean, no. It's it's definitely a movie that like, I approached in the same way when I was younger. Um, and, and has still... And we talked about this, you know, we talked about this in the... Uh, what's it called episode? The, the um, best top five Stephen King films. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible film. Um, I'm getting to a point where I'm a little tired of hearing about it. Mm. Maybe tired like, of watching it, or just tired of people talking about it. Tired of talking people t- people talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a movie that, outside of personal experience, necessi- necessitates discussion much anymore. I think I, I think I agree with you. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a deep, complex film um, in any way no. that has, needs interpretation. There's but been I a think lot of it, attempts at interpreting it. That are unnecessary. And I, but I think that's one of the things that people can appreciate about it is that it feels like it offers some existential knowledge where, for me, it just gives me pleasure. It's a, it's a very... It's not. It's, 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 a, it's a movie that I... Uh, and that's what I agree with. I think it's, it's a quintessential film that, you know, for has, has dark as the material is... You know, is is built upon this brotherhood and upon this camaraderie with others that um, makes it feel good to watch. That makes it eminently rewatchable. But it mm-hmm. doesn't. You don't need to delve 
deeper than that. No, and I think that's true because I well, like, now when I watch it, I really don't. I just kind of like sit back and let it wash over me, and it's just it's like cinematically, I just get so much out of it that doesn't involve thinking. Yeah, and it's it's I'm the, I'm not the type who needs to rewatch a film without thinking. Like mm-hmm. I cannot fathom the number of people that watch The Office over and over again. I'm a type of person, and it's just so common. I can name my my roommate downstairs who watches Office all the time. Megan watches Office all the time. Everyone I talk to is like, uh, like you look on dating sites, it's like, I watch The Office all the time. And it's not, I'm not going to criticize that, but I'm not the type of person who comes back to things constantly. I come back to some things, like My Neighbor Totoro or whatnot, but even then, outside of a movie that has popped onto my list, <laughs> There has there's never really a movie that I need to keep coming back to constantly, mm. constantly, constantly, and I think that is more of a psychological reason I need to come back to that movie more so than um, any sort of like comfort. I don't get comfort mm. in revisiting things, uh, so I look at this and go like, "That's a great experience." And every few years, when it pops up on TNT on Thanksgiving at my parents' house, yeah. I'll watch it when it pops up. I don't find myself coming back to it because oh, okay. I don't need that warm blanket of it. Because um, it's not doing anything for me in terms of a sense of feeling. Mm. It just feels so well made overall. Like, you know, nobody really ever mentions like Richard Francis Bruce, who went through like a really hot streak in the 1990s. I think he did, um, he's the editor. Mm-hmm. He did the editing on Seven. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think Air Force One. Everyone always talks about how well edited Air Force One is. It got nominated. Oh, did it? Yeah. I was joking. Because I don't ever think of the editing on Air Force Air Force 7. Air Force 7. Air Force One's amazingly edited. But he's also the editor on um, The Rock, I think. Yeah, The Rock. You know, he had a solid 90s and Perfect Storm. Like, that's a... His run of films was Shawshank. He did Speechless. uh, Seven, The Rock, Air Force One, Instinct, The Green Mile... Perfect Storm, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and then he kind of falls off the path by going Italian Job, The Forgotten, Ghost Rider, Killers, Oblivion, Divergent, Ben Hur. Yeah, that's a tough one. The Fifty Shades sequel. At work the other day, it's the perfect it's the perfect symbolism for getting old. I'm gonna digress um, here a little bit. At work the other day, the women that I work with were freaking out because we're we're doing like a, a, a we're getting rid of some DVDs that like haven't gone out, and they were apoplectic about the fact that we were getting rid of Ben-Hur. And I was like, oh, we can't get rid the of The Ben-Hur remake is what I was talking about. So that's what yeah. that's what they were talking. They were, oh. they were, they were just saw the spine and they were like, Ben-Hur. And I like picked it up. I was like, yeah, this is the Ben-Hur remake. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can get rid of that. <laughs> People. That's no problem. I mean, the real reaction should have been like, oh, right. That was a thing that happened. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, every piece of this film, you know, works together. But I don't. But it's it's. I don't want to call it fluff because it's not fluff, but it is um, a tale. It is it is a solidly well constructed tale. Uh, but I guess my reaction to it now is like it's it does kind of bother me that it's it's the IMDb number one, but it makes sense because it is not a film that I could see somebody going like I hate this. I can see a person at worst being like, it was fine, Mm -hmm. but I can't see anybody having any abject hatred for it because there's nothing about it that doesn't work. The fact that's two and a half hours and works is, is, for everybody, is impressive. I could show this to Megan and she would probably enjoy it. Why wouldn't she enjoy it? 
Well, she's a crazy person when it comes to, like, entertainment. <laughs> I mean, she's just her own thing. But, um, but yeah, you know, like, I could show this to somebody who doesn't like film or somebody who doesn't like that in general, and they would, they would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a recent example of that's something like Knives Out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and just, just a really well-crafted thing. I don't think it blows the roof off of the film history, but, um, I mean, this is definitely this several is, leagues higher. Yeah. But... Uh, it is kind of like an example of just a perfectly constructed film that definitely expands upon the source material. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, it just has a, a collection of actors who fill the role they need to fill. You mm. know, each in every possible way. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's one of those things where, like, I feel like we could... We could there's no reason to go like a lot deeper here. I think. I mean, I think we could just talk for an hour about Bob Gunton. <laughs> and coming back to this, like Bob Gunton is is the thing where I'm like, God, Bob Gunton was like the, th- like I uh, as a kid, like you know, you focus on Morgan Freeman a lot, and as you like as a young adult, you focus on Morgan Freeman. But you know, I always come around to Bob Gunton. Bob Gunton, and this is just like the show stealer. Well, Morgan Freeman, I think is is. This no, is I'm, it's no criticism of the Morgan. No, no, this is like one of the pinnacles of of um not just his career, but like of of a certain type of acting, like in the in the nineties. Mm, like he kind you, of. Do you prefer this or Unforgiven in terms of his performance? I think I think they work on kind of like a similar thing, where it's turned into a stereotype, like the sage African American, but I think Morgan Freeman's portrayals of those people. Um, goes past merely being sage yeah, and becomes much more... Com- they become a, an embodiment of a certain type of American story where they are they are forced to own their mistakes in both Unforgiven and this. They're both characters that are forced to own their mistakes while white people maintain like this pseudo-unrealistic sense of innocence about like what they're doing mm. but he carries it with like a great deal of 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 um like implied pain like he's never he's never yeah, red's sits, frustrated red's always red is angry and he's at peace because he's the only one in shawshank that's innocent the same thing with in unforgiven like he's he's married he's living his quiet life on this farm but there's always that sense hanging over him that he did something wrong that he's atoned for while Will Money's are still just being like, I'm just going to go kill these people. You should come with me because we always kill people together. It's almost like I need you to be there to justify me doing this. And he's just like, you know, I do what I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, Charging Redemption is tough. Because there's just not a lot to say about it. Like, you would, you, the first thing you said, there's just not a lot to say anymore. Everyone has said all the things that are possible to say about the show. Yeah, and this is a podcast, luckily, where we talk about the personal experience of it. But, mm-hmm. like, beyond that, we're not going to, we don't need to sell anybody on this for sure. I mean, when you have, what is it, how many, how many reviews of this are there? 2.3 million reviews on IMDb of this <laughs> film. I think it's pretty well covered the gamut of film viewers. If you've seen like 30 films, one of those films is probably Shawshank Redemption at this point in history. 
another one of those movies is probably Color of Night starring Bruce Willis. <laughs> Imagine if it was. <laughs> I've seen like 25 movies. I've seen Cool World, Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> Color of Night, Jurassic Park. No, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> no, Jurassic Park 3. Um, oh yeah, that's better. The, the, the Animatrix... <laughs> I really think they could make a live action version of those movies. <laughs> Brawl and Cellblock ninety nine. That was a that was a classic. Um, Deep Throat and that uh, Deep Throat, but also Dick. Uh, I and, saw all the Deep Throat movies, but most importantly, everyone, of course, would have seen the uh, porn movie that Abel Ferrara had directed. So, it's and, the most important and one. Double Dragon. And but next on the list is Dragon, the uh, Bruce Lee story. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the best movie they. Oh, and besides Judge Redemption, best movie they've seen. That porn movie is Nine Lives of Wet Pussy. By the way, <laughs> that's a perfect place to end. <laughs> Actually, that's a perfect title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's my number. That's my new number eighteen. I replaced it. By the way, oh, this is gonna be interesting. I watched it of base curiosity. No good. Uh, it's kind of like the Abel Ferreira. Interesting part. Then it gets to the sex scenes, and you're like, I don't want to watch this. It's like the sex scenes interrupt an, an interesting early Abel Ferreira film. Mm. You're just like, why are these here? And it's 1976, so porn feels gross. Well, that's a, it's like back when like porn didn't pretend to be clean. Yeah, it was just like like it is today, just like you know, exploitative, terrible industry that needs to be. I have many thoughts on what we need to do with the pornographic industry to make it a fairer thing, but that's not the point of this podcast, so I won't get into it. Um, well, yeah, there's a John Ronson point podcast about that. There was. I listened to that. Yeah. It was like the four-part one. I don't know how many parts it has. I, 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 don't, I, I don't have an Audible account, so I never was. I didn't ever get into it, but um, huh. I love John Ronson. I think it was the best. I thought it was the best. Well, yeah, but... You're the second if you, best behind if John If you want Ronson. to tweet about how fucking great John Ronson is, <laughs> you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. <laughs> uh, or you can uh, send us an email uh, to pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com, which I started to update today. Oh, Woo-hoo! shit. Um, and there's a list of the beers that we drank and there's a list of the movies that are on our top 100 list and there's uh, ways, uh, links on how to subscribe to us and uh, how to get in touch with us. I think the final review of this beer is the fact that we only got through one and a half of these each. And they're light and I... Like usually we would just destroy these on a regular yeah. podcast episode. Maybe this episode, because we're doing two and we've episode, got another... Is this episode that long? Hour 15. Oh, that makes sense. We're doing good. Yeah, it's a good, good short episode. Yeah. It's our shortest episode. Um, years. Yeah, so drink, drink a beer, watch a film, watch. Um, I'm thinking of ending things because we're going to talk about that next week, and then we will talk to you next week, which is actually for us today. Eat that, Teddy. <laughs>